Well, all right. We've been walking through the book of Luke, a careful record of Jesus, of his life, of his message, of his mission, and we're walking straight through it. And so today we find ourselves in Luke chapter 9, verse 18, all the way through 36. That's where we find ourselves today. Uh, It'd be great for you to get your eyes on uh, the scriptures, and so there's a, numer- n- a number of ways that you can do that. This morning, you can use Bibles that maybe you brought. We have Bibles around the room we provided for you. Um, we'll have it up on the screen. And then also, I just want to let you know there's an app on your phone. And so if you want to just download the app for that, just type in Bible. It'll come up. There's numerous options there. Really good tool for you. We want to get your eyes on a copy of God's Word. There's a lot to cover. It kind of gets technical at times. And so go ahead and go there. Luke chapter 9, 18 through 36. I don't know, today for me just seems uniquely heavy. This passage is is heavy. There's so much in this text. And time is not going to allow us to cover every angle of it. But I'm just heavy because, I don't know, my heart and my leading this week from God, the Holy Spirit, is just demanding me to share with you something I think is very important for us to realize. And so here it is right up front. It's going to get very hard. I want to make sure we understand that as Christians, it is going to be very difficult. It's going to demand tremendous sacrifice to follow Jesus. Last week as we studied the the scripture, the the sermon was entitled Sent, that we are sent out. We watched Jesus send out his disciples on his mission, and we saw that we cannot separate our salvation that we get from the Lord, from the mission that he sends us on. That when we come to follow Jesus, we're also sent out on a mission, if you're going to receive new eternal life from Jesus, you're also going to join him on his mission. You're going to be about expanding his kingdom. It just makes sense, right? When you find something amazing, you cannot help but talk about it. You cannot help but share it with other people. And so if you're not sharing Jesus with other people, Let's be honest, the scripture makes it very clear that your, your salvation is in question. Because how can you really be deeply affected by something that is so good and life-shaking and not share it? Salvation and mission go hand in hand. And so last week's sermon was entitled, Sent. And this week's sermon title is, Sent with Clarification. Or sent part two. Sent with some some clarification because Jesus will clarify how we are going to be about building, expanding his kingdom. And it's hard for us American Christians to understand. It's kind of counterintuitive for us American Christians. So Jesus is going to clarify it for us. And so here's the big idea for today. If you're a note taker, write it down. The big idea is that the kingdom of God expands through means that we struggle to understand. Now let me explain this 
a little bit more. So in 2016, we will elect our new president. And so the other day, my, my, my son goes, Dad, why do they have to run in a race in order to become president? And what does it have to do with being able to run the country? <laughs> I said, no, buddy, they don't actually run in a race. Some of the presidents are probably pretty slow, but it's, they're, never mind. You'll get it when you're old. And there's a lot of notable people who have already said, I'm going to be running for, for president. There's Leakin Chafee from Rhode Island. There's uh, Hillary Clinton, as we know very well, Secretary of State. Uh, Bernie Sanders from Vermont says, I'm in. Uh, Ted Cruz from Texas says, I'm in as a Republican. George Bataki of New York. Jeb Bush of the Bushes. Uh, he's going to have to try to figure that out somehow. Uh, there's Mike Huckabee of Fox News. Same deal. He's going to have to figure that out, how he's going to do that. Or of Arkansas. There's Rand Paul of Kentucky. Rick Santorum is at it again, right? And then in the next couple of days, we're supposed to hear from the Donald. We're going to find out in the next couple of days if uh, he's going to be our next president, or at least try for it. And, and these guys have all declared they will run for president, and they will build a new, better America. And so they will declare that. They make it public. This is what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to bring change. The next thing that they're going to do then is, is generate some buzz, right? They're going to get people talking about them. They're going to self-promote, self-promote, self-promote. They're going to go ahead and get that book deal about their lives published. They're going to they're gonna promote and they're going to generate buzz. So they declare and then they generate the buzz. And then the next thing that they're going to do is they're going to get and to grow a following. They're going to get lots of people to begin to follow them who will then talk more about them and get more people to follow them, who will talk more about them and get more people to follow them and grow a bigger, 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 bigger crowd. And then all along the way, as you know, they're going to let those followers and they're going to let the money tell them who they're supposed to be. The supporters will use their support to get some things out of them that they want. And, and that's how they will build their political kingdom. Declaration, buzz, the following, and then adjusting accordingly. And adjusting might be apologizing for things of your past because everything will be uncovered. Now, let's kind of trace that pattern as we look at what Jesus is up to. Let's trace the pattern through today's text. And so look with me at Luke chapter 9, and we'll just start with 18 through 20. It says, now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, who did the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. And then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And so we begin with the declaration. It says that Jesus is praying alone. And it says that the disciples are, are there with him. And so the key word there is alone. That, that Jesus is alone. It's just him and his disciples. The, the 12 who he has, we've already seen, uh, sent out. And we saw last week that they, they, they come back 
And they went to a desolate place so that they could debrief a little bit. They could do some follow-up on their mission. But as we saw last week, their, their debriefing time, their refreshing time gets interrupted by the crowds at Bethsaida. We see that the people there uh, are, are demanding of Jesus healing and teaching and then eventually food. And then we see that Jesus is interruptible and he doesn't say, no, go away. I'm hanging out with my boys right now. We're trying to talk about some stuff. But no, he pauses and he's really good at being interrupted and, and being on mission as mission comes towards his own life. And so now here we see him again, though, and they're, they're finally alone again. And Jesus says, okay, let's try this again. We're alone. I'm praying. And then he wants to clarify some things. And so he says, okay, you've been out and you've been about. Now who do the crowds that you see, who do they say that I am? And their answer is the same as what Herod understood back last week in verses 7, 8, and 9. It was the popular opinion that Jesus was either John the Baptist, Elijah, or some other Old Testament prophet. Common theme there is some dead guy who's come back to life. And so Jesus says, yeah, yeah, they, they misunderstand me. I, I'm not John. I'm not Elijah. I'm not one of the prophets from old. But what matters now, guys, as he looks at his disciples and he's looking at you today, he says, what matters now is who do you say that I am? Who do you say that Jesus is? And then Peter, in one of his most amazing moments in the scriptures, he answers, you are the Christ of God. You are, Jesus, the Messiah. You are the one that we have been waiting for. He nailed it, right? Peter got it right. And this moment is pivotal in the ministry uh, of Jesus because up to this point, Jesus has been very loosely but somewhat obscure to the reality that he is the Messiah. But now Peter comes out with it full on and ultimately it's Jesus' declaration through Jesus because who initiated the conversation? Jesus initiated the conversation. He says, who do they say that I am? I want you to say it. I'm going to agree and, and there you go. And, and if you get more information about this uh, event back in Matthew chapter 16, 17, it says that Jesus says, And blessed are you, Simon Barjona, or, or, or Peter, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. And so ultimately, it's God, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, the, the Trinity's declaration. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one who's going to change the world. His kingdom is coming. He will bring ultimate peace on earth. He will unite every tribe and tongue from every corner of the globe. You're right. I am the one. So there we go. That's the declaration. And then what comes after the declaration? After the declaration is the buzz. We get the word out. We start to let people know. We send the biography to print. We generate a press release. We go on the news. We tweet that. We Snapchat that. We Instagram that. Whatever, whatever you do, you get the word out. President Obama was uh, incredible with his social media uh, during his uh, last couple of campaigns. In 2008, he generated all kinds of buzz through Facebook and even that thing. Remember that MySpace thing? Through MySpace and, and, and through Twitter. His team uh, created all kinds of different Facebook accounts for Obama. There was women for Obama. There was African Americans for Obama. There were veterans for Obama. His website, BarackObama.com, was run by Chris Hughes, one of the three co-founders of Facebook. Smart guy. Kind of ahead of the curve. 
Some presidents of old jumped on the television thing or the radio thing. He gets on this social media thing. It was amazing. You get the word out. You do whatever you can do to get the word out. But what does Jesus say? He declares who he is, and then he says what? Look at verse 21. And he strictly charged them and commanded them to tell this to no one. Don't tweet that. Don't Snapchat that. Don't put that on your Facebook profile. Don't say anything. Wait, what? If Jesus were here today, he would have stunk at social media. The whole point of tweeting things and using your phone to do all this stuff is to publish to the world who you are, to get the word out. Look where I went today. I'm rubbing it in your face. I'm hanging out at Disney World, right? Jesus wouldn't have done that. He he doesn't do that. And we begin to see that the kingdom of God expands through means that we struggle to understand. If I were Jesus, I would use any means possible to get the word out. And his means and his methodology are a little bit different than what we would expect. And I believe that that's even true today. That this Jesus movement is counter-cultural. American Christians, did you, did you hear that? Our faith is not like any other faith. It's it's different. Our church is not like any other nonprofit organization. Our message is going to, to spread. Our mission is going to be accomplished, unlike every other message, unlike any other mission. Peter, James, John, Josh, Charles River Church, you absolutely, Jesus says, must understand something. It's not going to look like what you would expect in your culture. I will not rise in military power. I will not rise in political power. I will not even necessarily rise to the social norms. And you, he says to his boys, you are not going to get some cush seat in my cabinet. Jesus, can we sit at your right hand and your left hand? Stop talking about that. You're confused. He says, in fact, no. It's going to go very badly for you before it gets very, very good. Read on. Verse 22. He says, don't say anything. The Son of Man must suffer many things. And be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes. And be killed and on the third day be raised. So Peter makes this beautiful declaration. You are the Christ of God. And Jesus says, you got it. I revealed that to you. I'm declaring that through you. Pivot a moment, but don't say anything yet. Why? Because I'm not sure that you get it. You need to understand, Peter. You need to understand, Josh. You need to understand church that suffering will be a part of this that I will suffer many things and I will be rejected and I will not rise through the standard expected seats of power those Christians can I be honest drive me crazy the ones who want to take over Washington Jesus never said that we should expect him to raise up through this kind of modern day political power and and, and cultural spheres. Instead, he says, listen, those people are going to kill me. 
They're, they're going to, to kill me. Don't expect the kingdom of God to rise up through these normal government systems. Instead, the kingdom of God is going to transcend all of that and be able to go to every corner of the globe and to reach every people and every culture. God's people will be able to flourish and to make an impact despite government system, despite the moral trajectory of their culture, despite the position on marriage and family. God's kingdom will be able to go forward because from the beginning, Jesus showed us that as the kingdom expands, we can expect hostility. He never needed the ideal culturally, politically, socially in order for the kingdom to flourish. On the contrary, like coal under pressure produces a diamond, Christians under pressure shine the brightest. So don't be surprised that it's tough and will get tougher. And so a presidential candidate will say, here's my declaration, I'm running. We'll find out on Tuesday about old Trump. And then they generate the buzz. And then Jesus declares through Peter. And then there's more buzz. And, and then there's the, the following. And so Jesus says, let's talk about the following a little bit. And a presidential candidate will do anything and everything to get as many people to follow them as absolutely possible. They're going to make it as easy as possible so that that one day that you go into that booth, on that that little ticket there, on that little card there, you can check a box. Just make it as easy as possible to check the box. Does that sound familiar? Just check that box and give your life to Jesus right now. Just one time, one day, that's all it takes right now. It's easy. But after that, they don't care. But Jesus, watch how he grows a following. Look at 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. So he says, okay, let's, let's grow a following. Let me make it clear. Not easy. Let me make it clear. If you want to be able to follow me, you better be ready to pick up your cross. Jesus, you've got to fire your PR guy. I mean, he's, he's doing a terrible job, right? I need to humbly confess something if I can. I'm in the market for a minivan. <laughs> I swore it would never happen. Some of you guys say that. I remember that day he said it would never happen. The truth is, i got to confess, because one day you might see me driving down the road in a minivan, and I'd rather just confess than be involuntarily exposed. And so the other day we went to test drive a minivan, and um, I felt like I was being judged when I walked into the dealership, you know? 
Because you know the guys who are car salesmen, generally speaking, you know, they're kind of slick guys and they drive, you know, like you know, souped up Japanese cars and they got some sweet vehicles. And so I walk in and, you know, it was like, give me your license and your man card, right? And, and then you can test drive the, the vehicle. And so the whole time I'm test driving, you know, this, this guy's in the front seat and he's trying to upsell us, you know? Like, you know, this is a nice vehicle, but the one on the showroom floor has got a DVD player, it's got a vacuum, it's got leather interior, it'll call your grandma while you're driving, it'll do anything you want. Give it a couple of years, we'll put some features on there and it'll float into outer space, right? He just kept trying to upsell me and, and, and just say, it's easy, man. Just make it as easy as possible for me to get this vehicle and get into the hole. And the one thing I just, one of the many things, but one thing that I capture out of this that I just love about Jesus is that there is no spin. There is no hype. It's just simple. Listen, if you want to follow me, you better be ready to die. We skip over that, don't we? A lot of times. He says, if you want to follow me, listen, you better be ready to die. He, he goes on, he says, if you're looking to save your life, to make it cush, this is not for you. However, if you're willing to lose your life, if you're willing to uh, lose your personal comfort, the irony is that in the midst of that, you will actually find life here and eternally. You'll, you'll find life. What good is it, he says, if you get everything that the world has to offer? I mean, everything the world has to offer. The car, the house, the family, the the picket fence, the job, the American dream. What good is that if you forfeit yourself? If you lose your, your soul, you lose life in Christ, you lose eternity with, with me. Don't be ashamed of me, he says, because if you're ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you when I come. For you. I don't know you. Who are you? Depart from me. He said, I gave everything for you. Prophetically, he, I'm going to die on this cross for you. You better be re- willing to give it up for me. Not that it earns you my favor, but if you really get the depths of the love that I have for you, there's nothing that could possibly compare. Now how is that for gathering a crowd? <laughs> but yes, somehow he does, right? Through these countercultural means. Not what we would have done if we were to be Jesus' PR guy. Let's read on though. Look at verse 27. We'll come back to that previous section. He says, but I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And so Jesus says, listen, Some of you will not die until you see the kingdom of God. Now that can be really, really confusing because we often think of the kingdom kingdom of God only as heaven. And that is true, that heaven is the kingdom of God fully realized. And and so it kind of could sound like to maybe some of us that he's saying, "You you will not die and see heaven until you see heaven. Wait, what? And then you can write a book, Heaven is for Real, and make a lot of money off of it. No. Remember the Lord's Prayer? Jesus says, pray like this. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So we're to pray for a taste of the kingdom of God on earth. And Jesus is saying, listen, some of you are going to see that. Some of you will see what 
I'm talking about. Some of you are going to see my kingdom on earth. This beautiful picture of what is ultimately coming. The, the, the church, people who love Jesus more than life itself. That Jesus, you are everything to me. I'll lose anything that I hold dear for you because you're the dearest. You're the, you're the greatest. In fact, everything else revolves around you. They will love Jesus to the end. And because of that, they will be used to change the world. It's going to be amazing what you're going to see. It will be countercultural. It will be unlike what anybody would expect, what anybody's ever seen before. It's amazing. Now, in our last portion of Scripture here, Jesus is going to give us this really intense picture of himself that will affirm the statement that Peter made at the beginning of our section here. That statement, you are the Christ of God, which will show us, yes, you can follow him even to death. And so let's read this unique scenario, verse 28, the transfiguration. It says, now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were with him, Moses and Elijah, those who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And he kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. There it is again. We can't talk about this quite yet. So Peter, James, and, and, and John, his three closest disciple, go up on other passages, will tell us a, a high mountain. So it's a long hike to get there. And while they're there, Jesus begins to pray. They fall asleep. <laughs> seems like there's kind of a theme here, isn't there? Jesus and these three guys, it seems like when he prays, they fall asleep. Remember his last night? He's praying in the garden and they're sleeping, right? And there's, there's something happening here. But... Something incredible happens while he's praying. It says that his face is altered. The book of Matthew says it becomes like the sun. It shines like the sun. And his clothing becomes dazzling white. It was this moment of the glory and the majesty of Jesus becoming unveiled. Enabling these lead disciples to see and to be convinced fully of the divinity of Jesus who is calling them to this really radical lifestyle. They need to see it and understand it. Philippians chapter 2 will tell us that Jesus emptied himself or he, he humbled himself, taking on some of the limitations of man for a, a season in order to have this uh, relatable, effective ministry. But here he's altered so that they can go beyond that and see into his glory and his majesty. We call this the transfiguration. The transfiguration. And, and Jesus gives these men this opportunity that is going to challenge them and it's going to change the world by their, their testimony. 
Now, Jesus is with them on this mountaintop. This happens, and we see two other men, Moses and Elijah. These other men represent the Old Testament. Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets. God gave the law to and through Moses. And Elijah is often seen in the scriptures as kind of this figurehead of sorts of the prophets. And their appearance shows us that Jesus is fulfilling the Old Testament, the law, and the, the prophets. That he is indeed the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is the long-awaited Messiah. And now it tells us that, that Peter, James, and John, they're, they're sleeping while this is happening. But as they wake up, they begin to see Jesus. Can you even imagine that? You wake up to something that's like a dream. It's kind of this reverse thing happening here. And they're blown away. And, and, and Peter's a funny guy, isn't he? I love Peter. I think Peter gets a bad rap sometimes. But this guy, something about him, he just goes for it, steps out on the water. He just, he's a funny guy though because it's like every other chapter and a half you have an amazing Peter moment and kind of a lame Peter moment and an amazing Peter moment and a lame Peter moment. And I think it's a beautiful picture of me and, and maybe of you too. I don't, do you find Peter comforting? Like God uses me and then I stink really bad. And then God uses me. Listen, no matter where you're at, God wants to use you again. Don't let that hold you back. Don't let that, don't let that shame you. And, and so we've had this amazing moment. You are the Christ of God. You're the Messiah. You nailed it. I showed it to you and you proclaimed that you're the man. That was excellent. And then he says, okay, uh, I got an idea. How about we make three tents? And it was really actually a, a bad idea. Do you have that friend who... When they don't know what to say, they think the best idea is just, just, just talk. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like, I don't know what to say, so I'll say something. It's just dumb. And that, that's, that's kind of Peter here. Just talking. And in fact, verse 33, Luke actually notices and says it. He says, he didn't know what he was saying. <laughs> he just talks. He didn't, he didn't know what he was saying, right? He's just talking. He's just, just talking. He's saying, Jesus what have you done to yourself? You look amazing today. <laughs> like a bunch of girls. You have this glow about you. It's, it's incredible. I'm just, I'm just babbling, right? He says, now people are really going to follow you, Jesus. This is good. Let's stay like this, Jesus. How about we make some tents? One for you and one for Moses and one for uh, Elijah. We'll set up shop here. This will become your headquarters. And Jesus is like, are you serious? You did not hear what I just said. It's not going to look like that. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be killed. Not I'm going to die. I'm going to be killed, murdered. Your hero will be murdered. I'm not about building these physical structures. If you're looking for a church with a building, we're not it. I'm not about building the structure. I'm about building my earthly kingdom in such a way that it's among people. The temple actually gets destroyed shortly thereafter. Prophetically speaking, it happens because he said it would happen. Because theologically, it makes sense. He says, did you hear me last week? I will suffer many things and I will die. But Peter just babbles with what makes sense to him. And what does it say happens? says, God the Father manifests himself in a cloud. Do you see all the mosaic parallels? Just kind of an aside here. 
Moses goes on a mountain. Jesus goes on a mountain. Moses comes down, his face is glowing. Jesus' face is glowing along with the other guys. It's pretty, pretty incredible. Moses and his people are led by a cloud, and, and here's God in a, in a cloud. But, but Peter just babbles. The cloud comes over him. And as the cloud comes over him, they're like, oh, man. And they are fearful. And God the Father from the cloud says, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Peter's babbling, cloud comes, and God just says, hey, shut up, right? It's amazing what God just, be quiet. Do you believe, Peter, that your ideas are better than my idea of how I'm going to propel my mission, my kingdom? Do you believe, Peter, that your ways are better than my ways? Do you think you know best how to expand the kingdom? But listen, I need you to understand that my kingdom expands in ways that you're going to struggle, maybe for your whole life, to understand. And I believe I need to hear this. I've been studying this for a few weeks now. I need to hear this. You need to hear this. God is saying, there's a way that seems right to you. But do you believe that your ways are better than God's ways? Or do you trust him? When things aren't going the way you would imagine. God, I was thinking this would, this would be good. Let's build a tent. Or give me a cush life. Or give me that great big house and then I'll make a great impact in my neighborhood. Or give me the family, the picture perfect family that I wanted and it will be a little light little church, and we'll do a great work. Did you hear Jesus? He says, it's not going to make sense to you. But I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm, I know what I'm doing. The text also tells us that Jesus and Moses and, uh, and, and Elijah are, are talking about Jesus' departure that will happen in Jerusalem. That is, the cross will happen in Jerusalem. The resurrection will happen in Jerusalem and in the ascension. They're talking about God's perfect plan for earth's sin problem. How God is going to solve the sin problem and restore man and God by Jesus taking on flesh, undeserving of the wages of sin, which is death. And he's going to die. But he's not going to stay there. He's going to come back to life showing that he's God and has power over sin, Satan, and death. That God's going to accomplish that. But at the same time, through that, he's going to expand his kingdom because people are going to start scratching their heads and say, wait a second, he was willing to die for that? I understand somebody self-promoting, but when it gets really hard, they, they kind of bail if it's going to cost them. But Jesus was willing to die for that? But then he came back to life and all these people started saying they saw him alive. See how God started doing it through means that we wouldn't have expected. We were expecting him on a throne and political power on this earth today. And he says, no, 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 no. No. It's going to look different than what you imagine. Sometimes, listen, sometimes God's plan is hard to understand. But he keeps showing us, I know what's best. You have to trust me. So when he says to us, so you've got to pick up your cross. Do you trust him? I even wonder sometimes, Christians, do we even hear him? Pick up your cross. This horrific torture tool for the most terrible death imaginable. We think cross, we think jewelry, we think a rosary, we think a really hip tattoo. When they heard cross, they shuddered at the cross. 
It would have been horrifying. It's even possible that as Jesus says this, that behind him on the horizon are people literally hanging and dying on crosses. They were everywhere. Following him is not going to be easy. We're, we're, we're coming out of a season as a nation where it has been socially acceptable in our country to be a Christian. But we're, we're coming out, if not already, all the way out of it, and it's only going to get worse. Where people look at you that if you're a Christian, you're ignorant. You really believe in that miracle stuff? Or people look at you, if you're a Christian, that means you're an intolerant jerk. And so let me ask you, is that unique? Is, is that rare? This, this being viewed and, and, and hated and, and people being hostile to you, is that unique? Is that rare? Globally? Or, or historically? No. You know what's rare? Is Christians being accepted. That's rare. We've, we've been kind of isolated in Christian America. And praise God for the freedoms that we've had for the season that we've had them. Praise God for the, 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 how it's been socially accepted for a season. But as we come out of that, as we turn this corner that's different th- from what grandparents experienced, we need to understand that we're not in some unique season of, of pain and difficulty. We're in what's been the norm from almost the beginning. And, and Peter will even himself eventually learn. And he will get it. And he will write as God the Holy Spirit inspires him and writes through him. He'll say, do not be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you, Christian, as though something strange were happening to you. He says when people hate you and they mock you and they think you're ignorant and they think you're a jerk and they're against you, don't be surprised, Christian. Christendom in America is over. I mean, God can do whatever he wants, and we'll pray for it. But based on the trajectory, I don't tend to think it's going to be easy to be a Christian in America for very long. I don't necessarily think that we're going to be killed for for being Christians. We cannot rule that out. We've got to be ready for it. I I don't know what we would do until there's actually a gun to our head. I'm I'm not the persecution pastor, by the way, if you're a first-timer with us. I'm not the guy who stands up here and preaches this every single week. I've been around those guys. Guys who almost seek out persecution. Makes them feel better, like they're doing something right. But I I really do think it's going to increasingly get more and more and more difficult. That for the next few decades, it's going to get very, very hard. I believe that there's a likelihood that I could get charged with hate crimes because some of the stuff that I said is now on record on iTunes via podcast. It is very possible that you could lose your job for being a Christian. Peter says, do not be surprised at that. The the fire chief in Atlanta, Georgia, was suspended and then fired because they found out that not only was he a fire chief, but he was a man who wrote uh, a devotional book and got it published. He lost his job. I think that's going to become more and more the norm. The America my kids grow up in will be very different from the America 
I and my parents grew up in. And I can't even imagine for my grandkids. It's the day that our oldest child was born, I started to pray for my grandkids because as I was reading the Bible, I, I saw that it was always looking three generations deep. Tell it to your son and your son's son. The God of who, 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 all these different people. We've got to pray for them as well. But it's not unlike the culture that, that Jesus faced, that the, the disciples faced. They willingly stepped into the persecution and into the hatred because they so believed it. These disciples, after Jesus brings them through this rigorous training, will go so far as to all of them die for Jesus, except for one, John. The only reason he didn't die a martyr for Jesus is because they couldn't kill him. They tried. They boiled him alive. They still couldn't kill him. Something miraculous was going on there, so they just eventually sent him off to an island all by himself, Patmos, and, and left him there. And God did great things and gave us the book of Revelation while he was, was there. Why would you endure these things? You would endure these things because you deeply believe that Jesus is Lord in this tested kind of faith. Not like, yeah, I believe in him. A tested kind of faith. And because you know what you're waiting for. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 says this. For this slight and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Do you really believe that? Do you believe that whatever affliction you endure on this earth cannot possibly compare to the glory that awaits you as you're with Jesus face to face? I don't know, you may not be called upon to make the ultimate sacrifice. But I believe it's, it's my job to prepare you for it. It's my job to prepare my kids for it. And so I've just been so burdened over the past few weeks just to pray hard for you, to make you aware so that you're not surprised if it gets hard, I think when it gets hard, And so that you will prepare yourself like you prepare for a marathon. That you will prepare yourself in the word and in prayer and surrounding yourself with people. You know how the Bible talks about a little lamp we put on a stand? That's the fire. We're going to go out and we're going to shine up this world. You know what the church is? We're like that little glass shield around it. Because if you go out alone... The wind's just going to come and blow it. But if you go out and you've got the shield around it, and you've got other people around you, it protects you and it helps you move forward. So you get pre- prepared by praying, by getting in the Word, by developing around you a faith that is not an isolated faith, but a faith that is protected and cared for by God's people so that you don't get snuffed out. It is my job to train you in the Scriptures and to prepare you and to pray with you. It's our job to lock arms together and to be ready Because he says it's not going to be easy. You've got to be ready to take up your cross and follow me. And it might not be a cross for you. I highly doubt it. But remember he says to take up your cross, how often? Daily. So for us there's these daily sacrifices, these little sacrifices that add up. 
So that perhaps someday when it does come and you are called to make the ultimate sacrifice, it's not a big deal because you've been living a life of little sacrifices to follow Jesus. Stop looking for comfort. Stop looking for convenience. Take up your cross and follow him, verse 23, daily. Let's pray. Father, we so want to be ready for whatever comes our way. God, prepare us for it. Thank you, Lord, that as we follow the lives of these disciples, we see how you prepared them and how you want to prepare us. And God, I pray that we'd be prepared today as we hear some of the hard realities of what was expected to be the general norm. And that is a difficult life of following Jesus. But a life we gladly take on knowing that we get Jesus and we get this eternal glory that far surpasses any pain, any difficulty that we face on this earth. God, do your work in our hearts. Prepare us, ready us. God, if there's Christians in this room right now, God, I pray that they would be stirred up by your spirit to confess the sinful desire for comfort. God, I pray for the Christians in this room that you would make them ready. They would be ready and willing to embrace true discipleship. Discipleship that is costly. Do your work in us. Make us stronger. You know that we're in a season of praying for our health as a church. Make us healthy and ready. So that when the attacks come against our body, we're, we're ready for it. Do that work in us as you do your work through us. And we understand that to be sent out, we've got to be equipped and growing as we're going. And God, if there's anybody here today who has never began to follow Jesus, I pray that they would be stirred up and convinced that they hear about people who so believed you, so tasted and saw that you were good, that they were willing to die for it. They would see the sacrifice that you made for them by dying on a cross for their sins that you did not have to do, but you did because of your great love for your Father and for your people. God, I pray that they would hear this and they would say, yes, I want Jesus. They would call upon the name of Jesus and be saved from sin, saved from isolation from God, saved from eternal damnation, and saved to new and eternal life in Jesus alone. You would strengthen them and give them great hope. Give them the ability to love like you. Make them so much bigger, so much more powerful than they could have ever expected their lives to be because their lives are leveraged and impactful based on the Holy Spirit inside of them. Do that, God. Save people today. Help us to respond appropriately in the name of Jesus. Amen.